welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing podcast uh, on behalf of Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group. My name is Dr Andrew Trasetta. And I'm uh, Dr Peter Bagshaw, a GP and CCG clinical lead. Peter, great to speak to you again. And this week we're going to talk about schizophrenia and psychosis, which I understand is an interest of yours. Yes, I'm interested in, in all sorts of mental illness, but I, I, we've talked quite a bit about things that would used to be called neurosis. So that's a term that's largely fallen out of favour because it, it's got rather negative connotations, but basically things where it's an exaggeration of the feelings that we all have. Whereas schizophrenia is very different. It, it's it's labelled as a psychosis, which means that we've lost touch with reality. Uh, and, and it's something that's very different from our everyday experience and and something that's very scary to people so it's not in the same league as 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 anxiety and distress which is an exacerbation of normal and um, normal coping and worrying mechanisms it's something quite different it is and it, it remains despite lots of research a bit of a mystery we we really don't know exactly uh why people get schizophrenia uh, about one in a hundred people do uh usually younger people, but the causation is a, is a bit of a puzzle. That's interesting. What is schizophrenia? What does the word mean? And what does schizophrenia and psychosis actually mean? Well, as I say, psychosis is, is the general term for the more severe end of mental health problems, where it, it's something where we've lost touch with reality. Schizophrenia literally means split mind and so I think that the important thing to get out of the way is is what it isn't it's absolutely nothing to do uh, with a split mind at all uh, that that's something that's entered consciousness because of the the root of the word but it's absolutely not what it is not the sort of the Jekyll and Hyde um, sort of thing you can have two you, you switch a light and or you, you, you turn a switch and, and somebody who's very nice turns into somebody very nasty. That's, it's nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with it at all. No, absolutely. And it's like so many things. It, it's a cluster of different symptoms. There's not one simple test that you can do for schizophrenia. And it, it has a, a lot of different symptoms that vary from person to person. Uh, in general, these are clustered into positive and negative symptoms. So not positive and negative meaning good and bad, but positive meaning things that we experience that we wouldn't normally experience, and negative meaning things that we stop experiencing. So what would be some of the positive symptoms that we might see and, 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 and understand? The, probably the, the best known ones are hallucinations, and that can be seeing things hearing things which is the the commonest but it can be any any sort of hallucination which is a a feeling that something is is there and is is real when there's no evidence that it is and it can be extremely powerful it's it's not something that you can be talked out of at all um linked in with that is delusions so again this is a a very very firm belief often quite distressing often it'll be associated with uh, belief that other people are, are trying to get to us or talk to us. Um, it will sometimes be uh, religious type beliefs. Again, the, the critical thing about a delusion is that it's not something that we think that we can be talked out of. 
And then probably the other main thing that often occurs uh, in schizophrenia is disorganized thinking. So the inability to, to go from one logical place to another, but to jump about in a, a disorganized way. Thank you. That's very helpful. And just coming back to the, the auditory hallucinations, now m many of us actually have a sort of little bit of an inner voice sometimes. We've got a negative self-talk or occasionally we have an, an inner knowing that we, you know, some, it's almost as though there's a little tap on the shoulder suggesting that, that such and such a course of action is right or whatever. Does that mean that many of us have got schizophrenia or, or is are these, how do we explain these, these phenomena? Well, uh, it's very complex. So you're, you're right. A lot of us have it. I guess I kind of have an auditory hallucination all the time in that I've had tinnitus for the last 40 years. So I've, I've always got a sound in my head that I know is not real. Um, and there are also other conditions uh, where, particularly where people have failing sight, where they will see things that aren't there. Um, but I think the sort of thing you're describing, that the Jiminy Cricket on our shoulder, is very different from the sort of uh, thing that people with schizophrenia experience, where it's very real. It often feels as though it's talking to them, sadly, often in a, a very negative way. Yes. Right. Thank you very much. So well out of the range of, of normality. Mm, yes. And you mentioned that there were negative symptoms as well. What? What sort of negative symptoms might there be? Those are things which, uh, if if we were looking without the other things, we might think uh, uh, depression because they're the same sort of things. It's it's lack of motivation, it's slow movement, changes in sleep pattern, difficulty keeping clean, difficulty setting goals, and sometimes that will come in physical ways, particularly in what's often labelled catatonic schizophrenia, where you kind of withdraw and, and don't say very much and, and reduce down, um, have reduced range of emotions, less interest in socialising. It's, it's all those sort of things. And again, very distressing for the person experiencing that. Yes. Thank you. And I think the um, origin of the word, as you were saying earlier, is, is split mind, and pro probably from the Greek, maybe from the Latin, but uh, something like that. Uh, and I think this, this word was first used about 100 years ago, and it describes the separation of function between what aspects of us, what aspects of our being. Uh, I, 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 so I think it's the, diff the separation of function between personality, thinking, memory and perception, and that was, that was a, a great psychiatrist back in 1908, um, probably from Austria or Germany, called Eugene Bleuler. Uh, and I, I think because of that initial name, it, this misconception has has stuck and unfortunately still causes difficulties today. Um, as I was saying, it, it's a cluster and it, it, it tends to be labelled paranoid schizophrenia uh, if we have lots of ideas that people are against us. Um, the the disorganised thing is often called hemiphrenic uh, schizophrenia. As I was saying, the withdrawal type is catatonic schizophrenia, but... These, these overlap and there are other labels as well. I, I don't think we need to get too hung up about the, the type of schizophrenia. Um, but the, the paranoid schizophrenia is the one that's best known and is the commonest and is very distressing because we become convinced that people are against us, they're out to get us, 
Uh, often we'll we'll feel that if we turn the television on, people are, are talking at us from the television. Uh, and it's a very, very distressing thing to experience. Um, I've read somewhere that it, it's in the top four of disabling medical conditions. Uh, so there's uh, terminal cancer, advanced dementia, um, schizophrenia, and I think severe depression are, are thought to be the most disabling because it, it stops us functioning. And if we, is it, is it something we can catch um, from other people? Um, Absolutely not. No, 100% not. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad you've raised that. I think that's a, a useful thing to, to put to bed. No, there's absolutely no risk of that. It, it does run in families to a degree. Uh, if you have a family member with psychosis, you are more at risk uh, of developing schizophrenia. And again, we don't really know what the genetic basis for it is. The other things that seem to, to trigger it in, in a lot of people are severe stress. Uh, that can bring it on in, in some people. And also, um, particularly the stronger forms, uh, skunk uh, of, of certain drugs uh, can trigger schizophrenia in some people. So, so those seem to be the, the main triggers and, and usually coming on late teens, early 20s is the commonest time. But it can happen at any age, perhaps. It can. Very, very rare in, in later life. But yes, absolutely, it can. Uh, and, and you mentioned that it is one of the serious conditions that we can suffer from. Is, is there any treatment uh, that can help at all? Absolutely. Um, good, good. <laughs> yes, and I, I think it, it's really important if anybody feels that they are developing uh, schizophrenia or is with somebody where they can see these traits coming, that they seek attention as soon as possible. Um, the treatment isn't perfect. So only about a third of people recover completely uh, from schizophrenia. Um, but the treatments that we've got are definitely helpful. So the two main sorts of treatment are the talking therapies, and we've, we've talked about cognitive behavioral therapy previously, and that is definitely helpful in getting people to understand the feelings and their emotions and the voices. And then the other main group are the antipsychotics. And again, we're not quite sure how they work. Uh, it's thought maybe it's by reducing dopamine levels, but we're not 100% sure about that. And they're certainly far from perfect drugs. So the, the earlier antipsychotics gave a lot of Parkinsonian effects, a lot of movement disorders and stiffness. Uh, the later ones, tend not to do that, though they're, they're still sedating. But unfortunately, they all tend to give weight gain, uh, which is, can be a big problem and one of the reasons why a lot of people with uh, severe mental illness run into problems with heart problems and diabetes and so on in later life. Interesting. Thank you. So I'm interested in what you mentioned about the, the, the very strong cannabis. We don't really know whether it causes the schizophrenia or whether it triggers it because the potential is there. Do we? Is, is it, can alcohol do that? Can alcohol cause schizophrenia? Um, I, it does seem to be a specific thing with strong forms of cannabis. That seems to be much more than certain other uh, illegal drugs. Uh, LSD is another one that can can trigger it as well. Alcohol probably doesn't trigger it, but it, it can certainly make it worse, as it does so many other 
mental illnesses because you get this temporary damping down but then a rebound but as to whether it's caused in somebody who wouldn't otherwise have had it or is the trigger for somebody who would have got it anyway i think that's very much a under debate so if i were to develop schizophrenia let's say in my 20s or 30s would i take a course of medication for a few months and then i would be better or is this a lifelong um, remitting and relapsing condition and, and I need medication for, and follow up for a long term? Much more likely to be the latter. Um, as I was saying, the statistics are that about half people will, will need long-term treatment. Um, about, about one in five get better completely and about one in three uh, will, will go into remission and, and be well and able to function. But having had it once, unfortunately, it seems as though there's always that risk, particularly if we're then stressed uh, of it coming back again. And of course, one of the problems is that the tablets that you take to keep it at bay make you feel tired. They make you feel sluggish. They're not nice things to take. So the temptation is that when we feel better, we stop the medication and then sometimes we'll become unwell again. So certainly long-term Long-term management is is definitely important. So um, that, that's that's really interesting. Now the question I have is: What importance does our social situation have? How important for our recovery and our long-term health uh, is family, is friends, is the uh, availability of social support? Hugely important, and. This is, is recognised, so anybody who has uh, schizophrenia should be offered this as a, a matter of course. Um, so we know, for instance, about talking therapies, but we also know that family therapy is in incredibly important. And people who've got support uh, are much more likely to be able to uh, deal with their symptoms and overcome them. Of course, it can be difficult because people with schizophrenia that can be very scary to people. So it's really difficult uh, maintaining those relationships and family support uh, because people will often find it quite scary that our behaviour may be quite disturbed at times. I think it, it's very important to, to add at this point, Andrew, there's, there's some myths around. So unfortunately, every time somebody with schizophrenia uh, does something that's violent, it's, it's headline news. Uh, and actually, the risk of violence from schizophrenia to other people uh, is very, very low indeed. Uh, it, it's much higher of, of self-harm, sadly. Oh, right. Whereas we don't hear in the headlines of, of people who've been injured by drunk drivers or anything like that anymore. Exactly. So, so there is a, again, it's another misconception, I think, uh, that people with schizophrenia are, are dangerous and that's absolutely not the case and if if i have schizophrenia am i doomed as it were that it will always be difficult or have have you had cases do you know of cases where people have had a, a, a schizophrenic episode and then had many years of, of 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 good life after that and 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 done well yeah no absolutely they can and it seems that the key to this is intervening early that once it becomes set, then it, it's much harder to, to resume. And that's why there's been a, a big drive um, that I'm sure you uh, come across a lot of this early intervention in psychosis. The idea that 
at the very early stage. We go in early, we treat, and that means we can then treat generally with a much lower dose of medication. We can put in all the, the talking therapies and the psychosocial support, and people then do much, much better than, than if treatment is delayed. So it's another reason that if, if you think you've got it, please seek medical attention. And that should be our GP in the first place? Yes, and we generally give a plug to Mindline as well, don't we, at this stage? Um, there's a, a huge support out there. Uh, I'd recommend the, the websites of Rethink Mental Illness, uh, Mind, and the NHS uh, website is also very good in giving uh, information. Our Somerset Mindline, for, for people who don't know it, and hopefully it's scored into their memory now because we mention it every every week is uh, 01823 276892 and that's a 24 7 service uh, and that can be contacted by anybody who's got concerns about their mental health schizophrenia or anything else so that that covers all mental health illnesses and distress and and as a, as a front door for services yes absolutely but the gp uh, definitely and again in somerset we've set up this um, primary care service where there are mental health workers in surgeries uh, so that if somebody goes to a GP they can be referred to an expert and they should be they should be seen very very quickly. So can I just sort of look at a historical perspective because I started being a doctor in Somerset uh, um, 30 odd years ago 35 years ago more than that and I remember visiting Tone Vale with my consultants to see uh, long stay wards and it was at the end of the time when the the big sanatoria um, for psychiatric illness um, were really closing down but 50 years ago or 100 years ago I would imagine 100 years ago if you uh, if you developed schizophrenia you might have had a pretty tough time of it. Absolutely yeah I'm, I'm of a similar age to you and also remember those uh, long-term wards and, and people tended to be just put in a corner. We, uh, we didn't know how to deal with them properly. Nowadays, that doesn't happen. Uh, very much the focus is to get people back with their families as quickly as possible and, and only have them in hospital wards when they're acutely distressed and can't be managed in the community. But the, absolutely, it's, it's helping people to live in the community that's the focus. Lovely. So this sounds very much as though... Um, once recognised, this is a condition that can be helped, um, is treatable, and good social support is really important. And if there is a difficult crisis and a, and a major deterioration or, or at presentation, sometimes um, hospital admission for a brief period might be needed, but that, that really, compared to 50 or 100 years ago, is the exception rather than the rule. It did very much the exception and very much for the minimum time uh, for the person's safety and, and well-being. So, yes, people needn't fear that, that doctors are going to want to lock them away. That's absolutely the last thing on, on anyone's minds. This has been a really interesting talk, Peter, about a very heavy subject um, in, in many ways. Uh, and, you know, my, my heart goes out to anyone who who suffers from this condition or who lives with or knows anybody who is, but it really is much more hopeful than it was historically and uh, services are there to help. Absolutely. It's far from perfect. A lot we don't know. We can't always cure, but that's the case with lots of conditions, isn't it? And I'm aware this is a, a very delicate, a very difficult 
subject both for, for people with the condition and for people uh, who are living with them. So if anybody has concerns uh, that have, as a result of listening to this, I would ask them to go and get uh, help from the places that we've mentioned. And if anybody thinks that, that somebody in their family may be developing these conditions, again, looking for things like odd behavior, people being uh, secretive, changing the way they interact, perhaps believing that people are uh, against them or hearing voices, anybody with those early warning symptoms, please go and get help as soon as possible. There, there's a lot of help out there. Thank you. Well, that's been a really interesting uh, topic to discuss today, Peter, and thank you very much for all your expertise and, and wisdom and uh, look forward to seeing you for the next episode. Indeed. Thank you, Andrew. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.